Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship. So glad you're with us today for our second installment of our series leading up to Easter entitled One Week to Change the World. Last week, we talked about Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, where Jesus rode a donkey colt into Jerusalem. And everybody said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Next week, we'll talk about some events that happened on the Thursday night before Easter. It's called Maundy Thursday by a lot of people. It just means the mandate Thursday where Jesus gave the mandate to his disciples, go and love one another. The world will know, I give you this commandment, love each other as I have loved you. And so, and then he washed their feet and other things. And we'll talk about the Thursday night, uh, after the Sunday after that, we'll talk about Good Friday. And then we talk about Easter Sunday. So we've got Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Monday, Thursday. And today I want to talk to you about End Times Tuesday. Okay. Not Taco Tuesday, End Times Tuesday. And uh, signs of Jesus' return. If you Google end times Tuesday, no one uses that. I coined that phrase. And so um, after today, you'll go, that was just John's idea. But anyway, um, it was my idea because on the Tuesday before Easter, Jesus explained to his disciples about what was going to happen before the end of the world, what signs to look for. And today I want to talk with you about what he said. It's important stuff. I mean, Jesus wanted his disciples to know what was about to go down. He'd been telling them about his crucifixion and uh, his resurrection and the, that he rise again. And they, did, they weren't sure about all that until after it all happened. But they knew something was big because when he came riding into town on that donkey in Jerusalem, into Jerusalem, my goodness, the crowds went crazy. But then Jesus, he just blasted the religious leaders inside the temple, told them they were hypocrites, frauds, liars, and they wanted to kill him. And so disciples were going, hey, this is reaching a crisis point. And so they asked him, hey, is this the end of the world? And Jesus said, no, but I'll tell you the signs of what to look for. So today I want to share with you some of those signs from uh, 24th chapter of Matthew. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to look at your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice, even how to prepare for your second coming. So, Lord, we need to know what happened that week of Easter. And we need to know what you taught that week of Easter. So I pray that today you'll speak and move me out of the way. You'll teach us some things from end times Tuesday about the signs of your return. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, for those of us who are here in Prattville, for you folks on the sides, I think our side screens are out, so if you can get to a place where you can see me, I'll try to keep you involved in the conversation here and make sure we're filling out the blanks. If you need a pen to fill in the blanks, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will be glad to bring one to you, and uh, you can keep up with us that way. On the Tuesday before Easter, Jesus told his disciples what signs will accompany his return and the end of the world. What signs to look for? We're going to look at five of these signs that are included in Matthew 24. When Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, it was later on that Tuesday, his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will this happen? He had told them that the temple would be destroyed. Um, They said, when will this happen? What will be the signal of your return and the end of the world? It's important to note also that 500 years before this, the prophet Zechariah had prophesied that the Messiah would stand on the Mount of Olives when he establishes his kingdom, that he will stand on the Mount of Olives when he establishes his kingdom. Watch for the day of the Lord's coming. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And so here was Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives. Two days earlier on Palm Sunday, he'd fulfilled Zechariah 9.9, the Messiah would ride a donkey colt into the city. And now there's been all this trouble and Jesus has been rebuking the priests and they want to kill him and and, uh, all this. And And now they're standing on the Mount of Olives. And so it seems like a perfect place for the disciples to go, was that now? I mean, you're, what are you up to here, Jesus? Because this is reaching boiling point here. 
And Jesus said, no, not yet. But I will tell you what signs to look for. And so he gave them five signs. And the first one there is point A on your outline. And if you guys put on the screen, we're changing point A to sign number one. If you can cross out A, we'll try to list these. So this would be sign number one. There are five signs we're going to go over. Sign number one, if you can just write that in, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. If anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as, deceive, so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I've warned you about this ahead of time. Jesus said, look, the one thing before, as I tell you the signs, the first thing you need to know is there's going to be lots of people claiming to be me. There's going to be lots of false prophets. And you can find that going on now. If you just Google messiahs and other things like this, you'll find about people in different parts of the world who claim to be the messiah incarnate. There's even one group that, uh, you know, that claims that they have special insight into all this and um, have been given these great dreams and all these things. Well, it's like Jesus said, all that's going to come, there's going to be false prophets, false messiahs. What's a false prophet? Well, in the Old Testament days when um, the Lord would tell his people Israel, don't have anything to do with Egypt, don't go back there, for instance. He told Moses about that. Well, there were false prophets that came along and said, yeah, well, God changed his mind after Moses died. And you can go back now. We'll make a lot of money. Let's open that trade route again. And so all kinds of things would be shared then and uh, compromised on. And they'd say, yeah, you can't trust the scriptures that Moses wrote. You know, that was centuries ago. Well, the same thing's happening now. We have people that tell us, hey, you can't trust what the Bible says. These are 2,000-year-old letters. Who trusts these things? doesn't matter what the topic is. You can find people now going, well, you can't trust the Bible. I mean, this is the 21st century. Things back then, yeah, that's what they thought, but not now. I mean, when the Bible says thou shalt not, it really means thou shalt if thou wantest to. (laughs) Writest thou that in thine Bible right there, okay? And we're not going to write that in. But you're going to find false prophets now all over the place saying, hey, it's okay. God wants everybody to be happy. Don't deny yourself any happiness. It doesn't matter if the Bible says it's wrong. Just be happy. Well, Jesus said you better be ready for that because it's going to come. There's an important note here. Jesus said not only uh, will there be false prophets, but he said I want to make sure that you understand I will not return secretly. You're not going to have to doubt about this. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother going, look. Look, he's hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it'll be when the Son of Man comes. There'll be a deep mourning among all the people of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He said, when I come, I'll come on the clouds of heaven. We learn elsewhere in the New Testament on a white horse with many crowns upon his head, there will be no mistake. You and I don't have to worry. Jesus did not come invisibly a hundred years ago, as one group claims. No, he will come visibly for the whole world to see. We don't have to worry about missing him. Now, there's a life application before I move off this point of this first sign. I want to make here, to avoid being deceived, we need to meditate on the truth of God's word. The best way to defend ourselves against error is to know the truth. We need to know the Bible. You need to know the Bible. I need to know the Bible. That's why in every one of these outlines, we have all the uh, references here. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy about this. He said, look, evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others, and they themselves will be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true. 
for you know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what's true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God uses the Bible to prepare and equip us. We need to know it. In the margin, write Bible.com. If you've never been to Bible.com on the internet, please go to that website. You will then find a place where you can download the Bible to your phone or to a tablet or to a computer. That way, no matter where you are, you can always have the Bible with you if you just have your phone with you. We live in a day when that's never been possible like it is now. I mean, it's amazing. All kinds of translations, all kinds of Bible reading plans, devotionals. It's all there. It's all free. Please use it. There's no excuse now for not reading my Bible. People go, oh, I forgot my Bible. You have your phone? Yeah, well, you didn't forget your Bible. Yay. And what's great is, I mean, every time I finish reading my daily thing, it goes, great job. I love that. I love having people tell me I did a great job for reading my Bible. God wants us to know the Bible. We must know it. That's when we'll know that people are spouting error. And they say ridiculous things. And so that's not true. That's not what God's word says. So that's sign number one. There'll be false prophets. Sign number two. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. In fact, Jesus went on to say, so that's sign number two. It's point B in your outline. Just kind of right over that. Sign number two, you'll hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. If you'd circle the words, don't panic. This is important. We'll come back to that. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. The temple itself in Jerusalem, when the disciples were pointing at it, that thing was 1,500 feet long. I mean, it was like five football fields long. It was a massive structure. Romans came in 40 years later, destroyed the whole thing, tore it all down, threw every single brick over the edge of the platform on which it was built. Just demolished it. And Jesus said, this thing won't last. I'm sure at the time there were people who thought, well, this is the end of the world. And Jesus said, no, there's more to come. In fact, there's a note here, wars and natural disasters will increase in frequency and intensity. He put it this way, but all this is only the first of birth pains with more to come. Birth pains. Start out small, and far apart, and they get stronger and closer together. A woman in labor doesn't know exactly when the baby's going to come, but when the birth pain starts, she knows it's happening. It's, it's on the way. Some people say, well, see, then you would know it was right there. Well, no, I mean, some women go to the hospital, and they have a baby. My goodness, they get in the hospital, and they say, that baby's born eight minutes after I got there. Other people, they're still pushing after eight hours. And, that's, and he told his disciples, you can prepare. This might be a while here now because there will be things that happen. There's a little bit of period of peace and then something else. But each time, they get closer together and of greater intensity. So just because there's a war, I don't think it's the end of the world. There will always be wars and rumors of wars. But when things start getting, when the wars get bigger and closer together, start paying attention. The same with natural disasters. Same with false prophets. Now, it's important to remember something else here. The life application is we must not panic. I had that you circle that. We need to remember that God is in control even of the length of calamity. The sorrow my last for the night, there's joy that comes with the morning. And Jesus said a little later in that chapter, there will be a greater anguish at any time since the world began 
when the world comes to an end, those birth pains will get incredibly strong. He said, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive, but it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. You could underline, it'll be shortened by God. He's in control. These are things that must happen as judgment upon our sinful world. But even then, God is in control. So, there will be false prophets that come, false messiahs. There will also be wars and natural disasters, increasing like birth pains. Sign number three, here's a third sign. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Sign number three, and you have to write that in again, is that Christians will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. Followers of Jesus. Now, I don't don't like sharing all this stuff with you, but I don't think there should be any doubt in our minds anymore that this is already happening. It's just a few weeks ago when 21 Christians were lined up on a beach and beheaded for being followers of Christ. That was their crime. The Internet has now made clear things that we used to only hear of and we weren't sure if it actually happened. Well, now you can see it happen over and over again. This is the world in which we live. Christians are being beaten to death, beheaded, losing their jobs, losing their homes. And Jesus said, this is going to happen before I return. If anybody ever tells you, hey, if you want to be a Christian, all Jesus ever taught was happiness and love, and he just told us all to give each other big hugs and maybe a Coke, you know, so we could all smile. That's what Christianity is. If it ever offends anybody, you're not like Jesus. Well, that's not what he said at all. This is Jesus. These are direct quotes from Jesus himself. You'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you're my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's Jesus. Now, again, that's why we need to know the Bible. False prophets will come and tell you, oh, Jesus didn't want us to ever upset anybody. Jesus just said we should love each other and all get along. Jesus said, if you say what I say, they're going to hate you. And when Jesus said what he said, they hated him and they killed him. He said, I'm the teacher, you're the student. Why do you think it's going to go better for you? So sign number three is there will be persecution. Now forewarned is forearmed. It's it's a chance for us to say, hey, if that's going to happen, then I need to be ready for that and not pretend that this is something strange. I need to pray for brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, help them where I can, but I need to understand this. It's also important to note out of this, when sin and selfishness increase, love grows cold. This is a perfect time for us to demonstrate love for each other and love for our enemies. Because love grows cold. When sin and selfishness increase, love decreases. Because love is the exact opposite. When I'm sinful and selfish, I'm thinking about me, 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 and oh yeah, me. If I love others, I'm thinking about you. Here, take this. I don't need it. How can I help you? But if it's all about me and my rights and my freedoms and my joys and my pleasures and my stuff and my time, well, to heck with you. I'm going my way. That's not love. That's just selfishness. And love grows cold. 
Well, there's a life application also. We need to remember that Jesus promises great rewards to all who suffer persecution for his sake. Again, these are, I tried to quote just about every word in this whole outline comes directly from Jesus himself. A few things from Paul, but it's again from Jesus here. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad. Why? For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. My friends, to stand for Jesus, to stand for biblical truth, does not make us popular with everyone. But if you suffer, if people mock you and they, if they laugh at us, if we lose a job, if we lose an opportunity, if we're beaten, or in the case of those folks who are beheaded, they are greatly rewarded. Do you know that those men are greatly rewarded in heaven right now? Did you know that? There's a great reward for them in heaven. They lost their lives. They lost their heads for the sake of Jesus. And they are greatly rewarded. So it's important for us to remember that of the five signs I'm giving you here, there'll be false teachers who come and say, oh, they're the Messiah, or you don't need to believe all that. Just get along. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be famines and earthquakes, like birth pains increasing in intensity and getting closer together. And there'll be Christians will be persecuted all over the world. You see that happening, you say, hey, it's getting close. When Jesus said this right before Easter, I think now you understand why I'm saying it a few weeks before Easter. It's getting close. Sign number four. This is point D in your outline, if you'd write that in. Sign number four. The good news about the kingdom will preach throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. So the task that Jesus gave his disciples to teach the whole world about him, to proclaim the good news. He said, that's going to happen. Every person who's ever going to believe will have heard, and God knows when that day is. It's going to come. And so he said that uh, that's when he'll return. Now that gives us a life application here. We have work to do. That hadn't happened yet. There's people in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms, in our workplaces. There are people in our families who don't know Christ yet. True? Is that True. Okay, well then we need to tell them, because Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have work to do. That's why this church is set up. We want to have extensions going to many different places so we can have people attend worship at different locations, people who would never come all the way to Prattville, where I'm standing here this morning, for those of you watching on video. That's why we want as many small groups as we can, where we can help disciple and care for each other. We want people, we want you to read the Bible on your own. Where you and I are praying about friends and relatives, acquaintances and neighbors, people we can invite to church to come to Christ, introduce them to what a relationship with Jesus looks like in our lives. Y'all, this is what we're doing. And there's an urgency to it because one of these days Jesus is coming back and he's given us work to do. Now, since we still know of people that haven't been reached yet, we still have more time. There's more work to do. But that's sign number four. Here's sign number five. This would be point E in your outline there. Just write that in. Sign number five, the day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet wrote about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. 
Jesus said at the end of history, there will come on the scene a world ruler identified in, later in Scripture as the Antichrist, a ruler who will set himself up as a substitute Christ to take Jesus' place. And he will set up an object, a statue of himself in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus said that. That has not happened yet. Now, I want you to know in about six weeks, we're going to be doing a series on Daniel. I'll spend a whole Sunday talking about Daniel's prophecy and about this in great detail. For right now, you can go back. I gave you one verse, Daniel 9, 27, out of there. You can go read that and read ahead if you want to, but we're going to explain that more. But that hasn't happened yet. And Jesus said, when you see that, then we're right at the very end. The end of all world history here on this earth. But I want to go back to sign number four for a little bit. We still have work to do. Because that hasn't happened yet, because we know of lost people, there's still work to do. Jesus said, go and make disciples of people everywhere, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're going to do it. So now point two is this. No one knows the day of Jesus' return. In this whole section here where Jesus is talking about, hey, here are the signs. The disciples have asked for the signs. It's not going to be a secret. There's going to be false prophets. People are going to claim that. You don't have to worry about it. You'll know. You're going to be persecuted. There's going to be wars. Gospel's going to go to every corner of the world. Okay. So then we should be spending time calculating the date. No. Just be busy doing the work I gave you to do. Because no one knows the day, of the day or the hour of his return. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. This is starting in verse 32 of chapter 24 in Matthew. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I've been driving past a bunch of trees, a group of trees in Montgomery every day for the last few weeks. Never noticed anything. Yesterday, boom, they were all just flooded out everywhere, just in brilliant color. And I was going, wow. And Jesus said, that's the way it's going to be with my return. People are going to be going about their business, going about their business. All of a sudden it's here, right here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't even notice the things budding. And then one day, bang, here it is. You go, wow, something happened. He goes on. He says, his return is very near right at the door. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So then we shouldn't be spending time trying to calculate it. And yet you would be shocked at how many people, how many millions of dollars are made by people selling books all the time, figuring out they figured out when Jesus is coming. Let me give you an example. Here's a billboard that appeared. Um, if we can get that up. It's a billboard that appeared in 2011 um, that was... There was a guy named, uh, and I don't know, there we go, Harold, uh, Harold, Cumming, Harold Camping, I'm sorry, put this up. Uh, some of you remember this. He said that the end of the world was coming, the rapture was happening May 21, 2011, and there's even the gold seal of the Bible guarantees it. Right there. May 21, 2011. Well, that made the news. There were people who sold everything they had. There was one couple, CNN followed. They went out and lived in a shack in the desert somewhere. All this stuff is amazing. Okay, and all this happened. Well, it, May 22nd, people said, well, that was wrong. And so then he said, well, I miscalculated. It was October 21st, 2011. And so they did the whole campaign all over again. 
And then on October 22nd, they said, yeah, I don't think you got it right again. Well, to Harold Camping's credit, he passed away a couple of years ago, but before he died, he recanted and said that was a sinful waste of time. And he cited the verse I just read to you where Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. And look, you're going to find people with the revelation code, the Jesus code, cracking the return of Jesus code. You'll find code, 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 and these people have added, have counted the total number of letters in the book of Revelation, divided by pi, added it to what Moses' birthday was, and that's when Jesus is coming back. I mean, you will find, I mean, it's amazing. You'll find all this numerology, all this stuff, and they're all going, oh, this is what it is. And Jesus says, that's not the point. You don't know. You're supposed to be ready. He said, here's what it'll be like. Only the Father knows when the Son of Man returns. It'd be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets, parties, weddings, right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it'll be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord's coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. So that's our last life application. We must be ready all the time. The Son of Man will come when least expected. We must be ready. Those are the words of Jesus himself. A faithful and sensible servant is the one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns, find that servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put the servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant's evil and thinks, ah, my master won't be back for a while. And he begins beating the other servants, partying, getting drunk. Well, that master will return unannounced and unexpected. He'll cut that servant to pieces, assign him a place for the hypocrites, and that place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I remember a number of years ago when my oldest son was a teenager and my uh, second and third son were all still at home and um, their mom was out of town and I needed uh, yard work done. They were all of age where they could push a mower or sweep off a patio or wash the dog. I'd given them a list to get done on a Saturday. I even went and got them a, a frozen pizza for lunch so they could take care of this. And I told them that I would give them a certain amount of reward and allowance when I came home. When they got that all done, I'd be back towards evening. And so I left. Well, my business didn't take near as long as I thought, so I came back at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I walk in, find them watching television and playing Nintendo. And the jobs were undone. And there was wailing and gnashing of teeth in our home. <laughs> now, you understand this. I didn't come in and go, hey, good job. I don't care if you did what I told you to do. I did not say that to my sons. So you don't love them? What are you talking about? Of course I love them. And I want to teach them how to work. I want to reward them for a job well done. My anger with them, my displeasure with them was precisely because I loved them. Don't let anybody say that soft junk about, well, God would never be angry because he's a God of love. He says, like a father, like a master, like it was in Noah's day. Noah preached to the people of his day. Why are you building a floating zoo, Noah? Because it's going to rain. 
We're all going to drown. God's sending judgment on the world. And people laughed at him. And Jesus said it's going to be the same way. Some of us will even be persecuted for it. He says, you need to understand that so you can be ready. We need to read our Bibles, folks. We need to stand firm on what God says. When things get dark in a culture, that's the best time to be light. Now's the time. So there is an urgency. I hope you're hearing an urgency in what I'm saying today. I don't know how long this will be. It could be 20 days. It could be 20 years. But whatever amount of time is left, I want to be found busy about God's work, not playing Nintendo. I think you do too. I don't know why else you'd be here today. So let's get on with it. If God has called you to do something and your heart is beating fast right now, come see one of us. I talk to people all the time. Yeah, I was called in ministry 20 years ago, but I decided to go make money instead. And now I see that it was an error. That's an error. If he's called you to do something, do it. He wants you to lead a small group and you're not sure you can do it, we'll train you. Let's go. You want to go on a mission trip and God's calling you there? Let's go. What are you waiting for? And maybe you came here today with a friend and you've never given your heart to Christ. That's the very first decision you need to make. And that decision needs to be made right now. Again, I don't know how long it is until Jesus comes back. I also don't know how many breaths I have left to draw in this world, and neither do you. And why would I leave that up to chance? It was the lazy, wicked servant who says, ah, he's not coming back for a while. I'll just get drunk and party. He's not calling us to be wicked and lazy. He's calling us to be faithful and obedient. You haven't been reading your Bible? Well, when are you going to start? What are you waiting for? It doesn't get any easier. It comes down on your phone for crying out loud. Going to say you're sorry and apologize for something? Well, do it today. Going to get serious about your relationship with the Lord? Come on. The tree is starting to bud here. Do I have to convince you that our world is getting more and more chaotic? I share these things as a pastor because these are things that are deep upon my heart. These are the concerns of Jesus. And they were deep upon his heart on the Tuesday before Easter. Some of the final words he ever said before he died on the cross. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that the things that trouble you will trouble us. I pray that the things that you're concerned about will be our primary concerns. I pray, Lord, there was an urgency. You told the disciples, I don't want you frittering away your time. Let's get going. If that was true then, it's certainly true now. I pray, Lord, we will not play games with you. I don't want to be a wicked and lazy servant, and I don't imagine anybody came here saying I do. There are some in our culture who do. And they laugh at the very notion of this, and they would mock all of this. But Lord, we don't take our orders from them. You are our Lord and Savior, and we follow you. Oh God, I pray for courage that we will be people who will trust you and stand firm in our convictions even if our culture turns away.
even as our culture turns away? I pray that we will shine brighter as the darkness increases. I pray that you will make us bolder, that we'll read our Bibles and we'll become clearer and clearer about our message. I pray for power to proclaim your word, for clarity and understanding it. I pray that our friends and relatives, our neighbors and coworkers can come to Christ. I have no idea how many days we have left, Lord. Sinful and wrong to try to spend time calculating it all. I'd much rather spend my time trying to do the best I can serving you. If the words I've just said express the desire of your heart, would you just say, Amen.